throughout Advent, we were doing a sermon series called How Souls Feel Their Worth. And this morning, um, we kind of concluded that on Christmas Eve. And this morning, I, I want to just highlight what it means and, and why Jesus came. And Luke does that for us as he kind of prepares to go into the next leg of his story, the next chapter of his story in Luke 3 and then 4. Uh, we're going to end things at Luke chapter 2, verse uh, 40. And there is a little brief um, scripture passage after that when Jesus is at the temple, but we're not going to uh, deal with that today. We're going to deal with kind of a conclusion to the, the birth narrative. If you were here Christmas Eve, I read that for you in Luke chapter 2. If you were here throughout Advent, we actually started in Luke 1 and have worked through that and kind of really spent a lot of time uh, with with Luke 1 and 2. And so we're going to conclude that. And Luke kind of concludes this birth narrative by giving us some foreshadowing of what's to come. So he's got a whole, more, a whole lot more to say in his gospel. We're stopping at chapter 2, but you can read the rest of it, and he's going to give some foreshadowing of what's to come in the rest of his gospel. But then we know Luke has volume 2, which we call the book of Acts in our New Testament. And then that's the story of when Jesus leaves, and now the church is going to kind of live out and be Jesus' representatives on earth. So Luke is looking for us to understand something important about the people he introduces us to. Now, we've already been introduced to Mary and Joseph, but he's going to make a point about them and about their faith, their love of God. He's going to make a point about uh, another guy by the name of Simeon and a a lady by the name of, of Anna. And he's going to use them as examples of how we ought to respond to what God has done, and specifically here in Luke 2, at the birth of Jesus. He's looking for people to respond to what God's doing through the Messiah. And I want to suggest to you that he is looking, as he writes the rest of his gospel, what I'm saying this morning is, you have opportunity to respond to God as well, to this story, but not just this story. To every time we open the Word of God, every time you hear a message, every time you read Scripture, every time you listen to a podcast, you have an opportunity to respond to Jesus in some way. And that's the challenge Luke is going to give us here this morning. And so we're going to kind of take this in three segments with Mary and Joseph, Simeon and Anna. We're going to kind of unpack a little bit of what's going on in their specific story, all surrounding Jesus being presented at the temple. But what I want you to think about is your response to Jesus. Now, when I say that, some people think about when you were eight years old and you responded to Jesus and put your faith in Him. Some of you were older than that. That's an important day, that response to Jesus. But there's way more going on here with what Luke is saying than just that response. That's an important response to who the person of Jesus is that begins a journey of continually responding to Him. Because if we're just thinking, well, I responded to Jesus one day when I was eight years old, what Jesus came to do was not simply a phrase that, that I've used before. If you've ever played Monopoly, get out of jail free card. Our response to Jesus is not a get out of hell free card that we're getting. I've heard another pastor say it's not fire insurance. 
our response to Jesus is ongoing. Yes, we need to respond to the gospel, but guess what? Jesus had a lot to say, if you read the rest of Luke, about what it looks like to follow him, about what it looks like to be a disciple. A singular response is not discipleship. Jesus was calling people to more than just responding positively to a message. He's looking for something to be different in our life. We see the example, Luke is going to give us the example of what that looks like with Mary and Joseph, with Simeon, with Anna. And then he's going to tell us about the varied responses or he's going to give us some foreshadowing of those varied responses that if you read the rest of Luke's gospel, you're going to read about. Not everybody's jumping for joy with what Jesus has to say. It's very different, but he's still seeking a response. And then I want to just challenge us as followers of Christ, as a, as a church, about that opportunity that Jesus is giving us. What better way to do that than on New Year's Eve and responding what Jesus is saying as you begin a new year in 2024. So it, I'm going to be picking up in verse 22 of chapter 2. We've already read about the birth story. That was Christmas Eve. Now in verse 22, we're back with Mary and Joseph, and it says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, this is going back to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. They were being obedient to what God required from the Old Testament law. And it says in verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. That's taken from the book of Leviticus. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So this was specifying the sacrifice back to God for the gift that He's given through the birth of this child and offering that child back to God as a sacrifice. You do that and you say that to God. You recognize His gift and His goodness by giving Him a sacrifice, and that's what they were called to do. So what Luke is showing us here is throughout, really throughout the birth narrative, the, the story of the angels showing up and Jesus being born and Mary and Joseph going to the uh, Bethlehem and, and that whole story, what we are witnessing is a couple who are completely submitted to God. Now they probably, when they first thought about getting married, whatever that looked like, however it happened, I'm not sure they thought about getting, having angels appear to them and shaking up their life forever by what was about to happen. And yet each time the angels appeared, we see that they were being obedient to what they're saying. And what Luke is showing us here is the proper response to God, His plans and His purposes, is submission and obedience. So following the laws, that's what they were showing. When you read in Deuteronomy, and they would have heard, and they would have recited three times a day, whatever, the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Well, how does one do that? Well, one does that by following the law. So three different times in these couple of passages we hear according to the law, according to the law of Moses, according to the law of the Lord. 
Luke is emphasizing to us that this couple deeply loves God and they're showing it by their obedience to what God has called them to do. They are presenting Jesus to be circumcised, the sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham. They are offering sacrifices to God through this, just as Zechariah, when everybody wanted to know what they were going to name their baby boy, and he says, John, and his mouth is opened. The naming of the child is showing their obedience. The angel says, you are to give him the name Jesus, and Mary and Joseph do it. They could have named him anything. Each of these little pieces is Luke saying, these are clearly people who are living out the love the Lord your God with all that you are, peace. That the Old Testament talks about, that Jesus reiterates as the greatest commandment, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we see in this story that that's what they're doing. And the sacrifices that they're offering are two birds, pigeons or dove. Now, if you read back in Leviticus, what you were supposed to offer was a lamb, unblemished, something that's really important to your family. You offer it back to God as an, as an act of, of sacrifice and belief in Him and all the connections to that sacrifice. But if you were really poor and you couldn't do that, well, the Old Testament makes an opportunity for you to offer something else, like these two birds. Now, you have to realize in the world in which we are reading about, offering sacrifices was standard. You, everybody did it. If you served some kind of God, and everybody did in those days, you offered some kind of sacrifice. And many of the pagan gods could care less well, they weren't real, but could care less if you were poor or rich. You offered the same sacrifice. So you and some families were impoverished simply because they had to offer X number of sacrifices at whatever God's temple to that God. If they wanted you know, good health, if they wanted prosperity, if they wanted their crops to grow, if they wanted to have babies, whatever it was, you offered lots of sacrifices and it didn't matter if it impoverished you or not. So what we see happening here with Mary and Joseph is they don't have enough to offer a lamb. Well, God says, that's okay. I've made a way for you to offer a different sacrifice. And what Luke is showing us here, what was true of all of the Old Testament, again, this whole story doesn't make any sense without the Old Testament. And what Luke is showing us here, that apparently what God cares about is not the sacrifice itself, but the heart of the one who is bringing the sacrifice. If it was about the sacrifice, then God would say, I don't care what you have to do, you need to offer that lamb because that shows that you really love me. But instead, God makes a way for people who are poor, impoverished. They don't have much. But what I do have, Lord, here, I give it back to you because apparently it's not the sacrifice that God really cares about. It's the heart that brings the sacrifice. And what Luke is showing us here is the kind of heart that Mary and Joseph have, the kind of response God is looking for. That's why in January, we always have our congregational meeting. 
The third Sunday of January is going to be January 21st. You can put that on your calendar. And I'm going to say the same thing I say every single year, that God doesn't need your money. He could care less about it. What He's looking for is your heart. It's the same deal. Okay, it's not a sacrifice of some animal. Well, many of you don't have animals at your house. You wouldn't even have it. God's using something else in our day, something that's very important to a lot of people. It comes out of here. Now, my wallet's really thin because I don't have much money. But God's not looking for Ted's money. God doesn't need Ted's money. Does God have Ted's heart? That's what he's looking for. And Luke is trying to show us the kind of examples that we ought to strive to be. Just regular people like you and me who have given their hearts to God. And it's clear in what they are doing, Mary and Joseph, at the very beginning of this story. Their response to all that God is doing, the hardship that it's going to bring, not too long from now, they're going to be heading down to Egypt to spare their son because King Herod wants to kill anyone who is two years and, and younger because he's afraid that there's a king that's out there that's going to rival him. And Mary and Joseph have to flee their home. That's what obedience to God got them. And yet that's what Luke is saying. What's your response going to be to this right now little baby? So he goes on to see another response. He details another person, Simeon, and this is what his response was. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was another guy who loved the Lord his God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now you're going to hear that phrase multiple times here as well. And the Holy Spirit was on him. God is clearly up to something, and it had... It had been revealed to him, Simeon, by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he, would, before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. This is showing this man's faithfulness. I know we don't think about this, but every day this guy did this because he was faithful. What if today he decided, you know what? God hasn't responded. I'm not showing up today. And it was the very day that Mary and Joseph bring Jesus. Like, we just think, you know, it, God's just putting pawns different places. And Simeon's going to show up on this day, and Anna's going to show up on this day, and I'm going to have Mary and Joseph come here, and he's like working his... That exempts you and your ability to make choices from anything that God does. And what Luke is showing us here is that Simeon had been waiting for the hope of Israel to come. That's the consolation of Israel. And he faithfully went to the temple... Because in his day, that's where the presence of God was found, the temple. And on this particular day, because of his faithfulness, because of his submission and obedience to God's plan, he shows up at the temple, and moved by the spirits, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what was custom in the law to do, that was the circumcision, Simeon took him in his arms, and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, remember, he, God said, you're going to see this, Simeon, one day. You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, 
Now imagine that for Simeon. You'd been praying about that. I don't know. It doesn't say how long he had been praying about this. You know, we pray for like, you know, a few days and God doesn't respond. It's like, what the heck are you doing, God? Get with it. I don't know how long he's been praying about this. Luke is trying to show us what the proper response is, what it looks like to love God. This day, though, he shows up and holding in his very hands, he is literally seeing salvation because he's holding Jesus. Salvation has come through the Messiah, and I, Simeon, get to hold him in my hands, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, he says, all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, so they might be exposed to the fact that they were worshiping false gods. They're not real. It's a light of revelation and the glory of Israel. You have brought the Messiah, the one you promised would come. I read about it all the way back in Genesis. I've been waiting for a long, long time for it to happen. And the glory of your people, Israel, encapsulated in this little baby that he's now holding. The child's father and mother marveled at what Simeon had said about Jesus. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, now we're going to come back to this because it's important. This is his foreshadowing piece of what's to come in the rest of his gospel. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now we'll come back to that, but before we get there, just another piece that we learn from this little story about Simeon. Of course, Mary and Joseph are going to the temple, presenting Jesus there. Simeon is at the temple. When we meet Anna in a few minutes, she's going to be coming to the temple. That's important. It's important in Luke, and that's important in this time period in Israel's history, because the temple was where heaven and earth met, the divine and the human men. Remember, that's where Zechariah was in the Holy of Holies. That's when the angel showed up, because God's presence dwelt there. And Simeon is literally in the presence of God, because the fullness of God has dwelled, Scripture tells us, in the person of Jesus. We believe as evangelical Christians that the scriptures teach us that Jesus was both fully human and fully divine in one person. That's what the scriptures teach. That is what we preach. He needed to be both in order to accomplish God's redemptive plan. And now that person is at the temple. But what we're going to find out is, as Luke's gospel keeps rolling on, the temple starts fading into the background because the temple becomes less important. And it's not about making pilgrimage to the temple where God's presence is. It's about your response to the person who's claiming to be God Himself. But in this moment, we see this is the central location where God is showing up. And because of Simeon's faithfulness in his desire to be found in the presence of God, he shows up at the temple. And what we're seeing, it's it's clear that God's activity is all over this story. When we hear the phrase, the Holy Spirit was on him, moved by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit drawing him to the temple, that whole language is showing us, again, another important doctrine of the church, 
We call that doctrine the Trinity. We believe the Scriptures teach us that both God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are three in one, three persons, one nature, sharing the very essence of God Himself. God's activity is all over this. And that's going to become important in Luke volume 2, which we call the book of Acts. That's called Pentecost. When Jesus said to His disciples, it's better if I go away, if I depart, so that I can send the Comforter. I can send the Holy Spirit. Luke's doing a lot to set us up for the rest of this story in just these couple of chapters. And that's why we hear the Holy Spirit was upon Him. Simeon was not just some pawn in God's big deterministic plan. Because of Simeon's faithfulness in going to that temple, he experienced God's blessing through Jesus. Because of Anna's love for the Lord, she was at that temple and she experienced this amazing promise that God had made. Their obedience, their submission was essential to God's redemptive story. That's why it's not like God needs my money. The sacrifice that I make, God's looking for something else. And He's doing that same thing here. This isn't one giant deterministic plan that you're just a pawn in God's whole plan. Yes, God's plans cannot be thwarted by humans. Even though King Herod wanted to kill all the babies, God spared His Son because, once again, of Mary and Joseph's faithfulness to flee their home and do some hard things in following God. They weren't exempt from His story. Neither was Simeon, neither are we. God's purposes we see in just these stories being fulfilled through these faithful people. What does it look like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Simeon is that example. The response to God's plans and purposes is one of submission and obedience to them. Anna is another example of that happening. In verse 36, there was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. That was one of the northern kingdoms from north to south, all the Gentiles. God has shown what He's about to do to the world. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Now, it's likely she did leave the temple. She had to eat. There was no restaurant there, no coffee shop that she was just going to. Luke is giving us what we call hyperbole, or if uh, you're Vince Kolbitsky, exaggeration for effect. That's his favorite line, exaggerating for effect. He's exaggerating here to show us her piety and devotion to God. This is what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. She was seeking to do that, and so she was fasting and praying, and she just wanted to be found in God's presence, and she was faithful in that. Coming up, at, coming up to them at the very moment, she's there on the right day because guess what? God Himself shows up. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She just begins sharing about what God had promised to do through the Messiah. And that's happening there at the temple. Once again, showing her faithfulness, her devotion to God. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And this is kind of Luke 
changing the story here. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. The story changes. He's been flip-flopping between John the Baptist and Jesus. Chapter 3, John the Baptist comes on the scene preparing the way. Chapter 4, or in 3, is Jesus' baptism. And then chapter 4, Jesus goes into the wilderness, and then He begins His public ministry repeating the line that Simeon said, which was, the Holy Spirit is upon me. And then Jesus makes a quotation directly from Isaiah about the Messiah coming. This is, as I said before, the proper response. So I want to come back to something that Simeon said here. We see three different stories about how they responded by submission and obedience to God to Jesus. Now, if you keep reading in Luke, everybody else around Jerusalem, around Judea and Galilee, actually in all of Israel, is going to get an opportunity to respond to Jesus. And if you le- read Luke volume 2, which is the book of Acts, it's not just the Jews who are going to get an opportunity to respond to Jesus, but now we start going into some Gentile parts of the planet. And they too will respond to Jesus. What is the proper response? Well, you got to go back to what I just read and said, here it is. Mary and Joseph, Simeon, Anna has the proper response. That's what Jesus is looking for. That's why He came. He didn't come just to let us have a fun celebration on Christmas and open presents. Luke is about to tell, and he's foreshadowing here through what he says that this response that Anna gave, I don't know how long she was waiting. She was a widow for a long time. She'd been praying for a long time. She was faithfully going to where God was at that point, was the temple, the presence of God there, showing the, the proper response through worship. Now, we don't offer animal sacrifices. As I just said, that wasn't the point anyway. We're offering God something else. Like if you think your offering to God is getting up on Sunday and going to church and then Monday through Saturday uh, not following any of Jesus' teaching, Monday through Saturday not doing anything God says, you might as well not show up at church. Because what we're offering, the New Testament tells us, is, is living sacrifices. It's not some animal that gets killed. It's actually our life that we lay down at the altar and we submit to God and now obey Him. Well, that was the response of these people. Luke is giving them as the example to us and he says that's important because then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, now this is the words that Simeon said to Mary, this child, Jesus, is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. Just read the rest of the gospel. You can read about it. This person responds this way. This person responds this way. The Pharisees respond this way. Many are responding to this Jesus who came and what we celebrate on Christmas. And He will be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. What Luke is telling us here is 
what's about to happen, the story I'm about to tell you is not a Hallmark movie. Like every Hallmark movie will always have some kind of happy ending. Maybe that's why I like Braveheart so much. He dies. It's a great story, but he dies for some cause that he has. Luke is telling you through that foreshadowing, this isn't a Hallmark movie. I guess maybe it is. I mean, he come back on Easter. We'll have the, the happy ending. What he's saying is people are going to have a, an opportunity to respond to Jesus. Now, everybody responds in different ways. Some people, like some of you, responded at Christmas by coming to church. In fact, on Christmas Eve, we actually came to church multiple times. Our response is one of worship. We think it's important to do things maybe a little different than we do each year at Christmas as a response to what God's doing in worship. Some people respond to Christmas by, all right, it's a great opportunity to get together with family and friends, go have parties that we don't usually have, buy some gifts, get some gifts, and their response to what God's doing in Jesus is one of not really thinking about it or caring about it. And some hate it. Some of your family gatherings, especially if it's Christian-oriented, they don't even want to be a part of it because they don't want anything to do with this Jesus that everybody is celebrating. And, you know, the secular world works really hard to make Christmas about everything except Jesus. Luke is just telling us this is what he came to do. He came to generate a response out of all of us. And His very presence is going to reveal what's in the heart of people. Well, we got to see what's in the heart of Simeon and Anna. They really loved God. It was, it was obvious. And the very presence of Jesus showed that. Well, how do you respond to Jesus? How do you respond to opportunities of times of worship? Is it like, oh, gosh, i got to get up and go to church this morning? Now, I know there are days like that. I didn't feel that way today, but, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, man, i got to get up and go do this again. I know there's days like that, but what is our response to Jesus? Well, not just the person of Jesus. He had a lot of things to say. Because a disciple isn't just about that one day back when Ted got on his hands and knees and prayed the sinner's prayer and, all right, I got my get-out-of-hell-free card. That's not the response Jesus is talking about. That's not what a disciple is. Just read the rest of Luke's gospel. What does Jesus say? Oh, we're to be kind to those who mistreat us. We're to expect persecution. We're to maybe give some things up for God. You did that today. You could have slept. You could have done anything today. You gave something up as an offering back to God. Except what God's looking for is not, all right, my scales kind of appear. God likes me a little bit more now. God's looking for the heart that comes with you when you walk into church. Because we're going to find out, if you keep reading Luke's gospel, there's a lot of divisions, disputes, even the teachers of the law themselves begin to hate Jesus so much, they come up with a plan to kill Him. 
And so this hope, this consolation of Israel is actually generating a crisis of belief in the lives of these people. Every time we open Jesus' word, we have an opportunity to respond to him. Every time we're confronted with the truth from God's word, we have an opportunity to respond. Every time we get that sense we were just talking about in our connection group, in our gut, that our conscience, the Holy Spirit is convicting us of something, we have an opportunity to respond. That's what Jesus is creating here. He wants us to respond to who He is. Now, Simeon said something important. I just want to read this passage out of Matthew's gospel. Jesus is talking to the teachers of the law. And as I said, their response to Jesus was one of hatred to the point of coming up with a plan to kill Him. In verse 34, chapter 12, Jesus says, "'You brood of vipers.'" How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Simeon says the very presence of Jesus is going to reveal what's in here. A good man brings good things out of good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone... Everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment of every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. If you want to know what you think about Jesus and your response to Jesus, what are the things that you say? How do you talk? How do you speak to people? How do you speak to your spouse? What are your actions? How do you behave when no one else at church is around you, when you're just with your family or you're just with your friends or you're out on that field or you're with this group of people? What are your actions and behaviors? What do you spend time doing when when no one's watching you? And, And where do you spend your time and your money? I mean, Jesus says, I'm going to reveal what's in the heart of people. We know the proper response. We just read about it. Mary, Joseph, Simeon, Anna. What's your response? Jesus wants you to respond. Because he had a lot to say about what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. And our response is more than the sinner's prayer. Our response is really our life offered back to Him. So what's your life look like Monday through Saturday? What's your life look like Sunday through Saturday when you walk in here? The response ought to be one of worship. God, whatever I got, I'm giving back to you. I want the people here at this church to see the same Ted that they see when they're walking around Redner's. I want my daughters to see the same Ted every day Not just one that looks this way when he's in a group of people and one that looks a different way at home. I want my wife to experience the same Ted. I want the group of people that don't even live here when I go to Liberia or Nepal to see the same Ted, that it's the same guy everywhere. 
And what that proves to me when I lay down my head, if I died tomorrow, that the same Ted that you all see is the same one God welcomes and says, well done. It was clear to me that I had your heart. I can safely say that I, I want to be different this year than I was last year. I want to respond to what Jesus is saying when I preach message after message after message to you. You know how many messages I've preached in 10 years? A lot. You've spent a lot of time with me. Some of it good, some of it not so good probably. And I want to be different this year than I was last year. I want to be more like Jesus in 2024 than I was in 2023. I want to respond the same way these folks responded. New Year's Eve is the best opportunity for you to think about that. Next Sunday, we're going to come back together, and we're going to respond to Jesus and His sacrifice. We're going to take that bread, and we're going to take that cup, and we're going to be reminded of the lengths to which God will go for you and for me and for the sins of the world. What's our response to that? That's why He came. That's what Luke's seeking to generate. Will we submit and be obedient to the God who saved us? who came that Christmas morning. What's our response going to be? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for showing us your love to us through your son, Jesus. God, thank you for loving us enough to send him for the example of Mary and Joseph and Simeon and Anna, Lord, and the responses that they have made. God, as we prepare for 2024, it's less hours away now than when we first showed up at church. God, I pray that you would help us to respond to you in obedience and submission to who Jesus has called us to be as his disciples. Lord, I, I pray that I would be more like Jesus in 2024. And Lord, I pray that we as a church would resemble more of the person of Christ as the body of Christ represented here in Schuylkill Haven than we did in 2023. And God, I pray that those who are here, those who are watching at home, those who are here this morning, God, that you would work in their hearts and prepare them to respond to who Jesus is and all that it means that he came because he is looking for a response from us and we have opportunity to offer our lives back to him. God, I pray that we might do that in an even greater way than we did in this past year as we walk into 2024. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.